From the final phase, Electric Studios. From the first step to the final phase, industrial and commercial electrical done right. Casey Hendrickson. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Look, I got to ask you a question. Be point blank. We got a lot to talk about, but I'm just going to ask you a question. Is South Bend city limits, folks? Is South Bend one of the best places to live in the country? That's what I'm starting with. Some of you are going, wait, what? Listen, okay? (laughs) I'm not saying this. (laughs) I can barely do this story with a straight face, okay? Local television, South Bend ranked as one of the best places to live in the U.S. Really? Really? And then (laughs) the video picture... Like the the still of the video as they like drive to downtown South Bend. I mean, it looks like a giant wiped his butt with the city. So it's like glorious, one of the best places to live in the country. Just ugly. <laughs> like ugly, dirty, tan. Okay, but I'm I'm legitimately asking this question because most of you know I don't traverse back into city limits all that much anymore. I've uh I've escaped the area. But maybe it's changed quite a bit in the past few years. Maybe downtown South Bend, maybe the South Bend city limits, maybe the areas around South Bend. Obviously, you can't count Notre Dame. It's not technically city limits, right? I have no doubt that living across from Notre Dame is awesome. No, no doubt about that. But is the city of South Bend one of the best places to live in the entire country? Give us a call, Glass Doctor of Elkhart and St. Joseph County phone line 574 574- 25-95-95-3. That is 2595-953. Here's the deal. If you think it is, I am going to have to ask you to prove your case. So you got to give me a couple of examples on why you think it is. It's okay if you think it is. It's fine. You know, there p- people love and hate all sorts of cities and towns all across the country. So if you love South Bend and you think it's one of the best places to live, that's that's awesome. That's fantastic for the city. Just give us some, some reasons why. It's all messy. I don't... I don't think that it is. I don't think that's a surprise. I think it has potential to be, but I don't think it's been run properly. So I'm legitimately and genuinely asking you, okay, do you think the city of South Bend is one of the best places to live in the country? Because a local news channel is talking about a report that rakes it as one of the best places. Okay, there's a couple of other cities in Indiana that are on that list that I would actually put on the list. But do you think the South Bend is one of the best places to live in the entire country? Not the state, not the region, the entire country. Glass Doctor of Elkhart and St. Joseph County phone line 574-2595-953. That is 2595 Nine five three. You can also send a text message to four five three six four. Again, please put MNC at the beginning of that message. Uh, all right. Well, I, I just did the text message line. I, you okay? Ignore the text message line. I haven't looked at the text message thing in like three years, guys. So I don't even know why I said that. That was like force of habit as I was doing something. In the meantime, lots coming up. 
Okay, tons. We're going to talk about Davos. We're going to talk about the chinless one going to Davos. We're going to talk about monkeypox. We're going to talk about the coming food crisis. We're going to talk about a lot today. It is a busy day. But I figured, hey, why not? Let's just, let's do this. Let's run down this. Let's set the tone for the week. Is South Bend one of the best places to live in the entire country? Not is it a good place? Is it a bad place? Is it one of the best places to live? In the entire country. I don't think that it is. It is okay if you do and you disagree. I would ask you to politely give me a, a couple of reasons why that is. 574-25-95-953. That is 2595-953. We'll take your phone calls here in just a second. So let me tell you the story. So Channel 22. Three Indiana communities were ranked in the top 150 places to live in the United States. U.S. News and World Report released its annual list, which includes Indianapolis, Fort Wayne, and South Bend. I'll be honest with you. <clears throat> I would put Indianapolis. Make sure you screen those calls so I can take them too, please. Indianapolis, I would put on the list. Fort Wayne, I, I might put on the list. South Bend? I don't know that South Bend belongs on that list, yo. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just being honest. The ranking is based on affordability, being a desirable place to live, having a strong job market, and a high quality of life. What? Okay. <laughs> I re- It's Monday, and some of you are going, hold on, hold on a second. What are the criteria again, Casey? The criteria for making this list. Affordability. What's that? Okay. Affordability. Being a desirable place to live. Huh? Having a strong job market, huh? And a high quality of life, huh? I see one of those things, but like I said, maybe maybe I'm just out of touch. Five seven four twenty five ninety five ninety five three. Let's take your uh, take your phone calls, get your opinions. Doug, welcome to the program. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Casey. What's up, man? Well, South Bend. Now, if they take away Granger communities and all the outlying, quote, unquote, small suburbs, South Bend is a city that's fallen down. I mean, the crime rate, the homeless, the shootings, just about every weekend, robberies. I don't know how people can actually think that. You know, South Bend made national news last week. Did you know that? Because of the number of shootings that have been happening? It's kind of turning into little Chicago. Well, a lot of people from Chicago come here. I, you know, it's, it, but yeah, it's, it, it actually, if people were hitting me up, they're like, dude, did you know that like we're in national news right now because of the violence uh, recently? And, yeah, and years, again, years and years ago, Gary was the violent hub of the United States. Right. Now everybody's branching out into smaller communities, smaller towns. Yeah. No. It is not a good place to live. Mm. All right. Well, you know, <clears throat> yeah, I just, the, the Daily Beast wrote a whole thing. Uh, mother shot dead in South Bend days after five-year-old son killed in gun accident. And they talk about how South Bend, Indiana has been shaken for six days with homicide, a uh, fourth homicide. So is it the most violent place I've ever been? Absolutely not. I Again, I think it's adorable that people here think that it's super violent here. Um, but at the same time, it's not great for a smaller area. There's no doubt about that. And it's, it does appear to be, you know, at least in some categories, getting worse. Not at all. 
Um, yeah, so you would say no. You would disagree with this assessment. I would disagree. I grew up in a small town where you could, at that time, leave your front doors open at night, unlock your keys in your car, that kind of stuff. I'm a different generation. Yeah. You cannot even do that in some small towns around this area now. Yeah. All right. And it, it's terrifying trying. I've got grandchildren and going to even some of these schools. You have to have a police officer, metal detectors get in. What is the world coming to? It's tearing itself apart. All right. Doug, I appreciate the call, man. You take care. Thank you. All right. Doug says no. He doesn't agree that South Bend has come. I mean, obviously, local news is covering this because, you know, it's it's news. I mean, it's big news. And then there's a bunch of people, obviously, very proud that South Bend has made one of the top places to live in the country. But is it? 574-2595-953. That's 2595-953. More of your phone calls coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Casey Hendrickson into law. We have the latest. I'm Laura Smith. I'm John Zimney. Rain moves into Michiana. We got the forecast for the first part of the holiday weekend. First thing Tuesday on 95.3 MNC. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3 Michiana's News Channel. I'm your host Casey Hendrickson. I have very passionate opinions about this. And and honestly, if you if you think the South Bend is one of the best places to live in the country, please let us know. 574-2595-953. That is 25 Nine five nine five three. So here is the synopsis. By the way, Kalamazoo, Michigan made it at number 40, 30 spots ahead of uh, South Bend. Cal- so you folks in Kalamazoo, you're on the list. What it's like to live in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, well, the home of University of Notre Dame, South Bend, Indiana, boasts a low cost of living and an array of parks and other diversions bound to keep locals entertained. So really we're talking about Howard Park. Because... A lot of the other parks are eh, eh, questionable. Like many Rust Belt cities, South Bend has faced economic challenges since it lost nearly a quarter of its population during the latter half of the 20th century after some of its major manufacturers closed. That said, parts of the area are on rebound. For example, South Bend's downtown on the scenic St. Joseph River has undergone revitalization in recent years, bringing new apartments and condos that are attracting young professionals and empty nesters as well as new bars and restaurants. Really? Is that what's going on? U.S. News is <laughs> downtown South Bend's been revitalized, attracting young entrepreneurs to live in downtown. Is that what's happening? What is the uh, what's the occupancy situation down there? I'm, I'm I'm curious. I don't know. Last time I checked a couple years ago, it wasn't so good, but I don't know about now. All right, to the phone lines we go. Chuck, welcome to the program. Good afternoon. How you doing, Casey? Doing well, man. Uh, no, no, and heck no. Um. My family and I, we escaped South Bend, I believe it was seven or eight years ago, and I wouldn't go back. I'm going to preface this. There was only one reason I would go to downtown South Bend. Okay. And and that would be to go to Four Winds Field to see a baseball game. That's it. Fantastic ballpark, no doubt about that. If they left town and Notre Dame, for whatever reason, moved out of town, there wouldn't be a South Bend. It'd dry up and blow away. That's one of the things that a bunch of people on the live stream are saying. Without Notre Dame, there is no South Bend. And people have been saying that exactly. since I moved here. And when I lived there, I lived on the extreme far west area of South Bend. Mm-hmm. And literally every night I could go outside my back door 
and I could hear gunfire every night. Yeah. And that's, um, I mean, it's like I was almost literally right on the border mm-hmm. of the South Bend border, and I could still hear gunfire. And it's like, no, I'm not doing this. Well, all right. I mean, that's kind of how I feel. It's It has potential. I just think they haven't done the right things to give it potential, but that's just that's just me. So, all right, man, well, I appreciate it. I appreciate the call. Thanks a lot. You bet. Mm, bye. You know, I've, I've talked about this a lot. South Bend has so much potential. I mean, perfect location. It's got a workforce that could be utilized for manufacturing purposes. It's just they don't they don't explore those options. They just really don't. I, I don't know what else to say. And when you look at the overall rating, it's a 6.2. The di- desirability is a 4.6, but the value is an 8. So because it's cheap to live here, and it is, because it's cheap to live here, it pushed it up into into the top rankings, but like all of the scores are low. Job market is five point three. Quality of life is a six point four. Net migration five, so it's neutral. I mean, okay, five seven four twenty five ninety five ninety five three. Jerry, welcome to the program. Yeah, hi. Uh, I I grew up in New York City and lived there most of my life. Mm-hmm. These people got to be, you know, this is this is wokeism gone wild. Somebody, because because uh, Mayor Buttwipe works, it works. You know, somebody said, let's do him a favor and say South Bend is one of the best cities. There's no way in hell that this is one of the best cities. And I live in just about every state in the country, in many countries all around the world. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad place to live. I picked to move to this area because it is it, the quality of life is good, but not in South Bend. Well, I, well, I think Michiana's great. Yeah, uh, the area is here. great. The city limits of South Bend, no, <laughs> not even close. I mean, it, it has to be a joke. Uh, what, what are these people? Are they taking drugs? Are they smoking pot? I don't. I doing? don't. I have a theory. Okay, I don't know, but I have a theory. Jerry, appreciate the call. Thank you much. Okay. I just, I have a theory. I'll go over it here in a minute, and I will also tell you the top ten places to live in the country. Samuel, welcome to the program. Hello, JC. I have a theory as well. Oh, okay. This will be good. Yeah. <laughs> you remember I went came to visit you in 2014, and a couple mutual friends of ours were living in Terre Haute at the time, and they came up to visit as well. That's right. And they they were not enjoying living in Terre Haute. And they came up to South Bend, and they came up through the rest of Indiana. And they were amazed at how nice all of the rest of Indiana is. So I think what's happened here is that the reviewers have spent a week in Terre Haute and then come up through the rest of Indiana and decided that it's all lovely. Yeah, you're talking about our, our friends uh, Nick and Kristen, who do radio now yeah, out right. west. Um, yeah. <laughs> they came with me from Las Vegas. Samuel first linked up with me. He's from, Aust- he's from Australia, but he linked up with my show in Las Vegas. And he actually, several years ago, he came to the United States. And you went from the west coast to the east coast, correct? That's right, yep. And he, so... Nick and Kristen, who lived in Terre Haute at the time, they're doing radio in Terre Haute. They came up and visited, so we all hung out for a little bit. And Terre Haute is apparently a mess. <laughs> so I don't know much about it, but I know that they were really excited about seeing a 7-Eleven for the first time in a long time, because in Vegas, 7-Elevens are on every corner. Uh, <laughs> so maybe that's it. Maybe they're just spending time in really, really bad places. 
Well, I mean, for me, travelling from west to east, I was really excited to see that you have your own uh, chain of convenience stores. I didn't know you were a retail mogul. I know. I didn't either. We moved here, and I'm like, man, Casey's Pizza's like all over the place. What the heck? I'm not getting any royalties. I know. It's crazy. They don't have those out west. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So while I have you, just just because um, we have a couple mm. of minutes, your thoughts on the elections in Australia? Uh, I think... Uh, Rita Panahi from Sky News Outsiders summed it up probably the best. Okay. A conservative party that has no conservative ideals or policies does not deserve to win. Hmm. There you and go. That's pretty much what happened. There you go. Yeah. We right, had a conservative party that just hasn't really had it, so the other side won. Hey, I wish you guys the best of luck during this monkeypox catastrophe. I have a feeling it's going to hit you all pretty hard. So. <laughs> well. We'll see. Stock we'll up see. on food and baby formula, yet. man. You're going to need it. <laughs> I'll let you know if I grow up tail. <laughs> All right, man. You take care. See you, Casey. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was a joke because the crazy people won in Australia, and, and so now they're going to have even more lockdowns and stuff with monkeypox. All right, we'll take one more call on this, and then I'll give you the list. James, welcome to the program. You get the final word. Hey, man, I was a carrier in South Bend, and when Mayor Pete was in office, she had all these burn-up houses and brand-new sidewalks. It's a complete dumpster fire. But he but he got rid of a bunch of those houses. Yeah, there's still a bunch there. He uh, forgot about uh, 90% of the neighborhoods. Uh, and uh, also, also, there's uh, big news coming out. You're going to want to look this up. It's VA stabs our heroes in the back. It's all the homicides and suicides coming out. Yeah, I, I yeah, it's there's been, yeah, I know. It's ugly. It's ugly, man. I appreciate it, though. Thank you, bud. Take care. Thank you. Bye. All right. So let's let's go over the list here. Okay. Uh, we're going to, well, I guess like, man, I'm out of time. I'm getting my music bumpers. So I'll go over the top 10 when we come back. We won't spend a lot of time on this. No more calls. And we'll go over the top 10 places to live in the U.S., though, according to this report. And it might surprise you. The list might surprise you. But congratulations to Kalamazoo. I know you're here in this show. You're number 40 on the list of best places to live in the U.S., so... That's got to count for something. Kalamazoo is nice. I like Kalamazoo. To be perfectly honest with you. Got more coming up. 95.3 MNC. MNC News Time. 3.31. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations. Creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that will last a lifetime. This is Michiana's breaking news. From the first step to the final phase. Industrial and commercial electrical done right. Casey Hendrickson. Okay. I've, I've started poking around at this list a little bit more. I can't give you a top 10. I have to give you a top 20. Just so you understand how foobar this list really is. also want to thank R&B Car Company locations in South Bend and Warsaw. Columbia City as well. Two of those cities are better than the other one. <laughs> go, to, go to rbcarcompany.com. <laughs> rbcarcompany.com. I'm going to get so much email for that. Go to rbcarcompany.com and take a look at their inventory. Buy your car to escape South Bend today. All right. (laughs) All right, we got to do top 20. These are the 20 best places to live. Best places to live in the United States, according to U.S. News. Number 20, Melbourne, Florida. It's in Florida, so it's plausible. I don't know. Number 19, guys, Washington, D.C. Look, 
I've told you this before. Washington, D.C. is a cool place when you're around the Capitol. It's awesome around the Capitol. It's a cesspit basically everywhere else. Just throwing that out there. But with that said, most of the people that I know who go to Washington, D.C. because of work end up really loving it. But they work in and around the Capitol. They live in and around the Capitol. And, yeah, other than the, the homeless crazy people and the, the drug zombies, it's an amazing place. So, I, you know, I'm assuming that that is what's weighing this heavily. But you get outside of the Capitol area, man, that place is a mess. Number 18 is Boston, Massachusetts. People from Boston really love Boston. Okay, maybe, maybe. I've never been to Boston. 17 is Madison, Wisconsin, one of the craziest places in the entire country. 16 is Grand Rapids, Michigan. What do you think? Is is it a top 20? I mean, probably not top 20, right? But Grand Rapids is cool. I haven't spent a lot of time there. Um, but Grant, you know, driving through Grand Rapids, it's certainly nice. I mean, I, I would give it, you know, positive vibes, but 16th best in the country? Just the mere fact that Gretchen Whitmer is right around there means that it's not top 20. But anyway, Boise, Idaho, top 15. Uh, yeah, I would place Boise, Idaho in top 15. I've told you before, Boise's great. Des Moines, Iowa, number 14. Yeah, okay, plausible. Austin, Texas, number 13, also plausible, okay? I like San Antonio a little bit more, but Austin's cool. Naples, Florida's 12. Naples, Florida's 12. I, I would put Naples, Florida, top 15. That makes sense. 11 is Ann Arbor, Michigan? What? Okay. It, it's you're not, you're not smoking crack. You're smoking whatever is left over from the residue of a used crack pipe that is mixed with bleach and, I don't know, feces. To put Ann Arbor, Michigan above Naples, Florida. Are you kidding it is higher than Tampa, Florida. Anybody in this audience given the choice to go live in Ann Arbor or Tampa is going to Tampa. Let's be honest. Nobody's going to Ann Arbor unless they're forced to because of the school. Here's where you know the list is screwed up because Ann Arbor wasn't bad enough. <laughs> Top 10. Ready? Number 10, San Francisco. Folks, there is a mass exodus away from San Francisco, and they're putting San Francisco as a top 10? No. You can't live in San Francisco. Locals in San Francisco can't stay there because it's too expensive. They're leaving in droves. San Francisco is a a net loss city. I don't want to say dying city. There's still too many people there. But they, people who work in San Francisco don't live in San Francisco because they can't. They can't afford to. This is a true story. We've done stories on this. San Francisco is not a top 10 place. And I get, here's the thing. San Francisco's got like a legacy vibe, which is, being, which is bringing it in here, because clearly this isn't real world data. People think that San Francisco is a beautiful place, and it is. And as a result of it being a beautiful place and some of the rich cultural stuff in San Francisco – it just gets those vibes. Okay, but you can't actually live there unless you're wealthy. So it doesn't make any sense. San Francisco is a, a dwindling city, so it doesn't make any sense. Number nine, Sarasota, Florida. I hear good things. 
Hear good things about Sarasota. Never been. Portland, Maine. Not Oregon. Maine. I don't, there's pictures of lobster boats here, so okay. Maybe. Uh, let's see. Fayetteville, Arkansas. Maybe. Huh? Is it Fayetteville? Sorry for my, my friends in Arkansas. I didn't want to ruin your ruin your time. So Fayetteville, Arkansas. I probably didn't get the Arkansas accent right because I can't do it. Um, never been to Arkansas, but I really do want to go on a motorcycle trip in Arkansas around the Ozarks. Really, truly do. Uh, Rally in Durham, North Carolina, number six. San Jose, California, number five? Hey, I got a friend who's a program director out there in San Jose, California. Hmm. San Jose, California, number five on the list. That's interesting. Number five? Top five? San Jose, top five places to live in the entire country? I don't know about that. Number four, Boulder, Colorado. It's pretty. You got to deal with terrorists who run the campus there, but other than that, number three is Green Bay, Wisconsin. Three? Isn't a little bit of the best places to live got to factor in at least some of the weather? I mean, come on. It's, it's, Aaron Rodgers is there part of the time. Like that automatically knocks it like 15 spots out of top. I, I don't know. Uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado is number two. Colorado Springs is pretty dope. I'm going to be honest with you. It's, it's pretty cool there. Um, and then number one, I was surprised by this Huntsville, Alabama, number one, number one place to live in the United States. According to this list. Okay. Never been to Huntsville. Don't know. Um, but I, here's what I do know. The older I get, uh, what I do end up finding is that more and more people, sorry, getting a contractor calling me um more and more people are looking at arkansas and alabama as places to kind of especially as like you get towards retirement like so there's got to be something going on there i've never spent any time in either state but there's got to be something going on because people are increasingly choosing them for later in life and you know quietness and, and that sort of thing and they certainly do have that southern charm so maybe there's something to it i don't know but the, just the fact that san francisco is number 10 on this list Tells you that South Bend's not number 70. (laughs) No chance. Not at all. They put Ann Arbor above Naples. Above Naples. Naples, folks. Or coming up, 95.3 MNC. Casey. The Sean Hannity Show. Weeknights 6 till 9 on News Talk 95.3. Michiana's News Channel. Your breaking news and weather station. All right. Don't forget, you can watch the live stream, rumble.com slash Casey, the host. You can follow me on Truth Social, and Truth Social has been opened up for everybody. You don't need a special app or anything like that. You can go to the web, truthsocial.com, sign up there. Follow me at Casey, the host, on Truth Social. So we got to talk about the latest scaredemic that we have going on, monkeypox. I know we kind of... Talked about it a little bit last week, but not all that much. And monkeypox, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who do not know, monkeypox has been around for a very, 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 very long time. Everybody is kind of familiar with it in the the medical world, you know, so to speak, in the infectious disease aspect of it. They have outbreaks in Africa on a routine basis. 
Um, it seems like, I don't know, every six to ten years there's an outbreak in the West. Usually pretty small, kind of disappears. You know, not all that super scary or anything like that. But what I find so interesting about this is that some of the reporting on this has been, well, frankly, hysterical. We'll we'll get into that here in a bit. But monkeypox is the next scariant being unleashed on the world to demand vaccine compliance. I think, is it it Belgium or Bulgaria? One of the two has already mandated a monkeypox vaccine. The United States has spent tens of millions of dollars getting monkeypox vaccines. Okay. We had we had one confirmed case at the time, one confirmed case of monkeypox, and the U.S. spent like eighteen million dollars or something like that to get get uh, monkeypox vaccinations. Don't quote me on the eight. It might have been eighteen million doses or eighteen million dollars. I don't remember which one. I don't have it in front of me. Apologize. So now here's the thing. They think that monkeypox is different than it used to be. They think it's now sexually transmitted. And which population do you think they are specifically warning about monkeypox being sexually transmitted? They are specifically warning gay men. We've been on this road before. I'm not saying anything. I'm letting you know what the so-called experts are saying about monkeypox. They don't even have any confirmation that it's sexually transmitted. I do find it interesting that it being sexually transmitted, they seem to be focused on gay men as the transmitter of monkeypox. I don't know why that is. But it is something that you should be aware of. So if you happen to be a gay man, just know that the authorities are saying that you might be the most susceptible to monkeypox infections. Joe Biden went out there and says, everybody should be concerned about the spread of monkeypox. Okay. This is the Guardian. Joe Biden said on Sunday that everybody should be worried about the spread of monkeypox. Uh, Let's see. His national security advisor assured the public that the U.S. has a vaccine that is relevant to treating the virus, which, of course, they're going to try and force on everybody. Uh, During the official visit to South Korea, Biden told reporters they haven't told me the level of exposure yet, but it is something that everybody should be concerned about. But why? Why do we buy so many doses of the vaccine? We only had one confirmed case. We have two confirmed cases now. We have like five total people who are suspected of having it. Officials from the CDC have previously said that people who are exposed to monkeypox, which is a slow incubation period, can be given existing smallpox vaccines to limit the severity of the sickness. You know, I find interesting about this, though, is if you start looking at some of the reporting, some of the reporting is that um, it's really not a big health concern. It only it only kills like one percent of it of its of its uh, victims. That's a heck of a story in the news media right now that monkeypox isn't a big concern because like only 1% of the people who get it will actually die. What other disease do we have floating around recently that kills about 1% or less that they're still trying to scare the snot out of you? I'm just wondering... Why why the, the shift in coverage here? Uh, okay. Mail Online yesterday revealed that health chiefs were stockpiling jabs amid growing fears that tropical virus is spreading. Ministers have already, um, they've already set aside 5,000 doses, but now have ordered an extra 20,000 doses. This is in the United Kingdom. 
and the UK has like, I don't know, 11 cases of it. What is concerning is that some of the cases don't appear to be from travel to Africa. That's where they're concerned about the sexually transmitted component of this thing, which they haven't actually confirmed. I'm just letting you know that. they. So, you know, just like Dr. Fauci thought that AIDS was airborne, even after he was specifically told by the AIDS experts that it wasn't, he still went out there and told everybody it was airborne. Um, this is... This is happening right as the World Health Organization has a pandemic meeting this week. Coming up on midterm elections. That seem a wee bit suspicious to anybody out there. Oh, okay, so it's just tinfoil stuff. Okay, this isn't a new disease, guys. This is a disease that has been around for a long time that they're claiming is mutated to affect gay men. Doesn't at all sound really suspicious that they're really pushing this right as the World Health Organization is getting ready to hammer out this pandemic treaty? It's not just a little bit suspicious to anybody out there. I'm just talking to you skeptics. I know the rest of you are like, yeah, this is suspicious. But for you skeptics out there, I'm just asking the question. Does it sound just a little bit suspicious that a disease has been around forever, occasionally has an outbreak in the West that doesn't cause any concern, suddenly is becoming a major compulsory vaccination event? Right as the World Health Organization is getting ready to hammer out a pandemic treaty. I think that's a little little concerning. You should. Considering what the pandemic treaty is about, you should be concerned. Go to rumble.com slash Casey, the host. We'll talk a little bit about that World Health Organization pandemic treaty because Holcomb has been invited. We'll talk about that next. WTRC FM and HD1, Niles, South Bend, Elk. The final phase electric studios. From the first step to the final phase. Industrial and commercial electrical done right. Casey Hendrickson. Oh, Casey, it's not even Tuesday. Where's your tinfoil? You're already hitting us with conspiracy theories? Come on. World World Health Organization is doing their sovereignty-busting pandemic treaty, and yes, it is sovereignty-busting. The United States is more protected. I did an early show on this. The United States is more protected than a lot of countries, but a lot of countries are going to have no protection from this treaty at all, and we will still lose some. Uh, The real question is, will we be able to throw our weight around and get out of some of the things that happened at the WHO with the pandemic treaty as it is being hammered out and negotiated. The, the more concerning thing with the WHO treaty is the amendments that were proposed by the former vice president, Joe Biden, because the amendments he proposed are the ones that are the most scary because they're being proposed from the United States, from the guys pretending to be president, and they were taking away sovereignty from the U.S. and conducting its own pandemic and epidemic protocols. That was the thing that was so concerning. And anybody out there going, oh, no, it doesn't do that. Yeah, it does. Read the amendments that Biden submitted himself. I know he didn't write them. He probably didn't even read it. Probably doesn't even know he's submitting them. But whoever's doing it on his behalf, very concerning stuff. The thing that we have that everybody else doesn't is the supremacy clause. Does the supremacy clause protect us? It can if the courts uphold it. But the courts have upheld it sometimes and not upheld it other times. And so who knows? The real danger with the pandemic treaty, if the amendments as proposed are passed, is that there is the very real possibility of sanctions by the rest of the world on a single country who doesn't comply with the treaty they signed. 
Now, to give you an example, I told you not that long ago, what you're seeing happen to Russia is what you're going to see used as a template to apply pressure to every other country to fall in line. This isn't just about invading another country. So when you see the entire world ban Russians from competing in athletics, Russians from competing in tree naming associations and whatnot, was it the best tree in the world? I don't know. Whatever that weird tree competition was. Opera singers being fired just because they're Russian, and they criticized Putin, but xenophobia. This is the type of stuff that they are applying across the board. Okay, PlayStation and Xbox being asked to not let Russians play video games. This is the type of thing that is being used as a template. That's the stuff that's going to be used in the future against any country to get them to comply. Now, again, the United States, world's lone superpower, biggest funder of the UN and the WHO. So, yeah, there is some weight that we can throw around to maybe protect us if we sign this treaty and something happens in the United States and whoever the inspector general is of the WHO, right now it's that uh, that war criminal Tedros, if they declare an emergency in the United States without our approval and us going, no, there's no emergency, what are you talking about? And if we disagree with that decision, there's not much we can do about it, but let's say they want to start putting restrictions and things like that. They start going into the pandemic protocol. We disagree with the pandemic protocol. And now they go, well, this signatory of this treaty is not complying with the treaty. Sanctions. Next thing you know, the rest of the, the rest of the world's got sanctions. Now, now Americans can't compete in the Olympics. Little things like that start to affect everybody. Now, could that happen? Potentially. Will it happen? Maybe, maybe not. Because again, we are the U.S. We can throw weight around. We can, we can simply look at the WHO and say, all right, you want to sanction us, that's fine. We're going to pull all funding. Good luck getting the rest of them to pay, pay your bills. It's entirely possible. But the rest of the world doesn't have that clout. The rest of the world doesn't have a supremacy clause. The rest of the world, if they sign in to this pandemic treaty, they're hosed. There's nothing they can do. And we'll be an enforcer, too. But I also wanted to just give you this little tidbit, okay? Just a little bit. I just want you to know, you heard it here first. The Wuhan Institute of Virology assembled a monkeypox virus genome, allowing the virus to be identified through PCR tests, using a method researchers flagged for potentially creating a contagious pathogen. I know it's Monday, so I'm just going to say this one more time. The Wuhan Institute of Virology in order to make monkeypox detectable with a PCR test, which we use for COVID, which are inaccurate for COVID, in order to make monkeypox detectable with a PCR test, they modified it using a process that has been flagged for creating potential contagious pathogens. So we have to ask ourselves, is this new sexually transmitted version of monkeypox a result of the Wuhan Institute. The study was published in February 2022, just months before the latest international outbreak of monkeypox cases. Wow, that is convenient timing, don't you think? The paper, which is authored by nine Wuhan Institute of Virology researchers and published by the lab's quarterly scientific journal, also follows the wide-scale use of polymerase chain reaction PCR tests to identify COVID-19 positive individuals. 
Researchers appeared to identify a portion of the monkeypox virus genome, enabling PCR tests to identify the virus in the paper. So the paper is called Efficient Assembly of a Large Fragment of Monkeypox Virus Genome as a QPCR Template Using Dual Selection-Based Transformation Association Recombination. Good Lord. I almost passed out saying that. You know those blogs that have those really, really long headlines that you can't read? Yeah, that's what these are. Monkeypox viruses referred to as MPVXs in the paper have strains that are more pathogenic and have been reported to infect humans in various parts of the world. So they modified monkeypox to be able to be tested by the PCR with a method, once again, that has been flagged as potentially creating a contagious pathogen. And this, this report gets published in February of this year. And here we are three months later, and we've got an outbreak? Yeah, Casey, put your tinfoil back on. Okay. We talked about Brave New World last week. Cue my audio, please. This is the CEO of Pfizer, Albert Borla. Once again, if you missed this last week, I'm replaying it just so you understand. This is him talking about a new technology that Pfizer has. It is a basically biological chip that it is in the tablet. And once you take the tablet and dissolves into your stomach, sends a signal that you took the tablet. So imagine the applications of that, uh, compliance, uh, the insurance companies to know that the medicines that patients should take, they do take them. Uh, it is uh, fascinating what happens in, in uh, this field. Yeah. So every pill you get now is going to have a little biological microchip in it that's going to send a signal back to some database somewhere, letting the, uh, the powers of be know that you took your pill, that you took your medication. Go read Brave New World. If you haven't watched the new series, Brave New World, watch it. It's decent. It's a a decent adaptation of the book. But go read it. And this is, again, the CEO of Pfizer. Imagine the compliance. And he spoke specifically about insurance companies. So insurance companies, let's just say, I don't know, you work in a place. And that place has, uh, like, we have our flu shots and all that and everything, but that's all voluntary. Now, just imagine, okay, imagine you get to a point where they're starting to give you a COVID pill. Since we have COVID pills, right? So in addition to getting your flu shot, you get a COVID pill. Well, everybody's got to take a COVID pill or else you can't have company insurance or something, right? Well, they give you the pill. Did you really take it? They don't know. Now they'll know. Now they'll know. Don't think for a second that this isn't something that could potentially happen. I mean, this is the CEO of Pfizer bragging about this. I made a mistake. I got to correct my mistake coming up. And then we'll talk about the chinless wonder, Eric Holcomb, up next. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Governor Holcomb signed into law. We have the latest. I'm Laura Smith. I'm John Zimney. Rain moves into Michiana. Got the forecast for the first part of the holiday weekend, first thing Tuesday at 95.3 MNC. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Things you hear on the live stream that you don't hear on the radio show. Casey wearing leather pants and going to adult conventions. Those are little bits of the behind the scenes that you get if you just go online to rumble.com slash Casey the host. All right, we got to talk about the chinless wonder Eric Holcomb. I made a mistake. I said that Eric Holcomb was going to the WHO thing. He's not. He's going to the adjacent World Economic Forum. Different, but same. Sorry for my mistake, ladies and gentlemen. CCNN, you can admit you make mistakes. 
it's it's okay. It's, it's all right. Everybody does it. All right, this is uh, Northwest Indiana Times. So Hoosier State is preparing to welcome government and business leaders from at least 28 countries next week for a series of leading-edge conversations about next-generation in industries, technology, and talent. Indiana's inaugural Global Economic Summit aims to build on the, uh, the recent foreign trade missions led by Republican Governor Eric Holcomb and Commerce Secretary Brad Chambers by connecting international business leaders to top Hoosier executives days before millions of people around the world turn tune into the annual Indianapolis 500 race. All right, now, then, then there's this. So that's the one that's going to happen in Indiana here in short order. Now, if you go to indiana.gov, well, in.gov, Governor Holcomb is invited to speak at the World Economic Forum in Davos. Oh, isn't that sweet? Governor Eric J. Holcomb announced to, uh, today announced, this is Friday, that he will discuss Indiana's investment in advanced manufacturing at the World Economic Forum annual meeting in Davos. Now, I, it's funny because a couple of the reporters that I know that are there, they are driving by and they're looking at all of these cars just sitting there, the greenhouse gas emissions going into the air, waiting to get into Davos. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's funny. I don't know how else to say it. Davos 2022 facilitates conversations between global thinkers, international dignitaries, government, and business leaders to share their visions for the year ahead, Governor Holcomb said. Yeah, also there to promote the Great Reset, which Holcomb has been super, super pumped on. I'm proud to represent Indiana on a world stage to discuss all the innovative ways that Hoosiers can be part of the solution regarding the myriad of challenges facing our state and world today. Cool story. Like what? I'm not saying that there aren't challenges. I just want to know what he thinks are challenges that Indiana can help with. That's what I want. Because Davos, this is a this is a tyrannical group of people that proposes a whole host of really awful things, like the Great Reset, which the news media told you is a conspiracy theory until the folks at Davos were like, no, 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 we, we, we totally mean it. Yeah, Great Reset's real. And then what did Holcomb do? Well, he, he went along with Great Reset policies. Governor Holcomb will deliver remarks at the Augmented Manufacturing Experience Panel, which features panelists Sharon Burrow, Belgium General Secretary for the International Trade Union Confederation, a bunch of other people you don't care about. Uh, Governor Holcomb and a senior staff member will depart for Switzerland on Saturday, May 21st, so they're already there. Of course, they were on Fox News this morning. Some of you pointed that out and return today on the 23rd. This marks Governor Holcomb's 12th international trip as a governor. That's almost like they're saying that that makes him uh, qualified to be a senator. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's going to happen, Eric. Really don't. So he's going to Davos. He spoke at Davos. He's heading back now. And then he's going to host his own mini global economic summit here in Indiana. Okay. So back to the Indiana summit. Indiana is marking its place on the global stage as we host the single biggest international week in state history. Our state economic development strategy is paying big dividends, and we're thrilled that the Indiana Global Economic Summit will provide a platform to share the ingenuity and innovation that makes Indiana unique. And, and here's the thing. I don't know what the, the Indiana Summit is going to look like, folks. I really don't. I don't know what it's going to look like. And I'm not saying that summits like this can't be beneficial but we know what Davos is. We know what Davos is. We know what the World Economic Forum is. We know what they are. They are bad. They're not good. They're not even just a little bit okay. They're bad. That's that's all there is. 
And if Eric Holcomb is going there and he's giving a presentation on a relatively benign manufacturing thing, okay, whatever. But he's still there hobnobbing with people he probably shouldn't be hobnobbing with. And then he's going to host his own summit. And you have to wonder how much of that's going to bleed over into the Indiana summit. Is the Indiana summit really just going to be, you know, just a normal economic summit that could help Indiana's economy? Or is it going to be more of this Agenda 21 type crap? That's the real concern that people are having at this point in time. What is actually happening with the local summit versus the international summit? Because every time, you're going to hear this all week, folks. There's going to be stories coming out of Davos, and it's all going to be about a day behind on the radio show anyway. There are going to be stories that come out of Davos, and you are going to hear some stuff that you do not want to hear. Stuff like, at Davos, we have this bio pill that you can swallow that will force you to comply and take your medication, and the insurance company will have total control over it. Oh, wonderful stuff. What could possibly go wrong? And you look at some of the, the amendments that have been promoted, you know, again, Davos is like adjacent to the World Health Organization because the World Health Organization and the World Economic Forum kind of work hand in hand with one another. They're not the same. Three minute stations. And you get to a point here where WHO and, and Davos, the symbiotic relationship that they have with one another, this is going to get, it's going to get scary. And there are people out there who are like, oh, no, it's just a, you know, basically a giant international trade thing. That's not what it is. If you know anything about it, you know that that's not what it is. Take some time. Look at some of the stuff that's being proposed in the pandemic treaty for the WHO. It should scare you. The WHO already had undue influence on the pandemic this last time around. The CDC made the right call. Too late, but they made the right call to finally tell everybody after Tons of doctors sent a letter and said, it's time for you to declare COVID as an airborne virus. We can't fight this thing if you don't acknowledge how it's spreading. And the CDC did. And you know what happened? They got a phone call from the World Health Organization who said, take it down from the website. Because if people know it's airborne, they know that masking doesn't work. And the World Health Organization was still pulling, pushing cloth masks. And the CDC complied. So the CDC ceded authority to the WHO even though the CDC was correct. And they did this throughout the entire pandemic. If I can boil this down in the simplest possible terms, let me boil it down this way. The World Health Organization intentionally lied to the entire world for weeks about COVID not being spread from person to person. We learned about COVID officially, internationally, on December 19th, 2019. January 14th, 2020, the WHO was still posting on social media that COVID could not spread from person to person and that it had been contained and it was not a risk to the global population. We obviously know that that was not true. Beyond that, World Health Organization doctors are on camera at various various press conferences saying that they knew in December of 2019, they knew the moment the virus was released, that they that it could spread from person to person. Which means you have World Health Organization doctors admitting on camera that they knew in December of 2019 that this was a human spreadable virus, yet the World Health Organization for weeks after that continued to tell you it wasn't. China is ultimately responsible for the spread of this virus, but the World Health Organization 
is just as responsible. Because if the World Health Organization had come out in December of 2019 and told the world, like they say that they knew, that this spread from person to person, they would have given governments an opportunity to take precautionary measures that they were not allowed to take while China continued to process international flights and send the virus all over the world, which is exactly what they did. You really think the World Health Organization deserves to be in charge of global pandemic policy after that fiasco? If you think that, you're an extra special kind of saucy stupid. MNC News Time is 4.31. It's time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that will last a lifetime. This is Michiana's Breaking News and Weather State. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Apparently there was a, I'll put it in the daily show prep for you. I'm not going to go into it. But apparently there was a bioterrorism simulation that accurately predicted the start of the monkeypox outbreak back in March of 2021. Huh. So I'll just leave that there in case you you want to take a look at it. Oh, my word. A professor fired over tweets questioning BLM movement has now been reinstated, even got their back pay. So this is Harris Rigsby, or Rigby, excuse me. Chalk up another victory for free speech against the woke-infested university system. An arbitrator has ruled that the University of Central Florida professor Charles Nagy has to be reinstated and given back pay after the university fired the professor for being publicly skeptical of the Black Lives Matter narrative. Good. I got another story to talk about with this here in just a little bit too because this is um this is important that we hit this and there's a couple of people that seem to be floating around like hey 2000 mules is more important to talk about yeah i get that but you can only talk about 2000 mules so much and a lot of what's in 2000 mules has been discussed for a long time but i got news for you the amber heard johnny depp trial are very important a lot of people think it's just celebrity Drama? It's not. It is part of that culture war. A part of that culture war, folks, is preventing Duke lacrosse. A part of that culture war is making sure that fathers get to spend an equal amount of time with their children. A part of that culture war is making sure that men are not hosed in the legal system because of a divorce or because they impregnated a woman. Part of it is making sure that men have a right to prove their innocence if they are innocent. You know, there's a there's another case that we'll get into here a little bit later. It just remind me. Can you just remind me, Ben? Laptop. That's all I need you to say is laptop before we get done with this this stuff. Okay, that's all I need. Just I will remember that. So this professor, Charles Nagy, is an associate psychology professor, was the victim of a prolonged campaign by UCF to find a reason to fire him after he posted tweets that angered activist students. The fact that a university would pursue a pretextual investigation with a foregone conclusion to fire a tenured professor because a professor does not conform to diversity, equity, inclusion ideology is pretty disgusting, in my opinion. University of Central Florida investigated my entire 22-year career with them in search of something, anything, that they believed they could use to justify their firing of me. Now, typically, a tenured professor can do whatever they want, which is why getting tenure is so important. And yet we got tenured professors simply questioning a narrative of which they're right, suddenly losing their jobs. It's hysterical. 
The case went to an arbitrator because Nagy is a union member. Uh, Cornell Law School professor William Jacobson wrote uh, wrote what is it, right, wrote this at the Daily Wire. Okay, so basically what he did is he tweeted out some criticisms of Black Lives Matter. Um, then they decided to go on a fishing expedition to try and fire him. And the way that they did so was not appropriate, violated all sorts of rules, and as a result, he's been reinstated. He even got back pay for all of this. But the fact that it even happened was bad enough. Now, I want to take you back to another article from one of my favorite columnists, Ash Show. A-S-H-E. She writes for the Daily Wire. And Ash Show is amazing. If you ask me, she's one of the best in the business right now. And she's young, and she's only going to get better. Zach Kriegman had worked at Thomas Reuters for more than six years. His job was the director of data scientists. His job was to head up the entire division for all of Reuters, okay? The umbrella that is Reuters. His job was to head up all of those people who deal with data and statistics and then spread that out to everybody at Reuters. So if you're a writer or a columnist at Reuters and you need some statistics or some data, you go to your data division. This guy ran that division, okay? In 2020, he noticed something was changing in the company. Co-workers were publishing numerous articles about white privilege on the company's internal collaboration platform. This is not stuff that was published for you and me. But they're writing it in this internal system, trying to build their articles, build their cases, and then publish. All right? When the Black Lives Matter riots broke out that summer, the platform was filled with support for the organization without any question as to the narrative being told about race in America. And, of course, the narrative is Black Lives Matter is lying to you. That's what it is. Period. There's nothing else to say. Every one of their narratives is not true. Not saying that there are problems, but their narratives are not true. He says, this concerned me. I've been following the academic research on BLM for years, and I had come to the conclusion that the claim upon which the whole movement rested, that police more readily shoot black people, was false. By the way, this has been shown out numerous studies, numerous studies, including a pro-BLM black Harvard professor who desperately tried to prove their case and ultimately had to acquiesce that it wasn't true. Uh, Let's see. The data was unequivocal. It showed that, if anything, police were slightly less likely to use lethal force against black suspects than white ones. Kriegman discovered that based on a database of police shootings compiled by the Washington Post. Police have fatally shot 39% more unarmed white people than black people in the past five years. BLM activists have insisted, however, that since there is a six times as many white people in America as black people, police should be shooting 600% more. Anything less, Kriegman wrote, is evidence to the activists of police bias, which, of course, isn't. That's not a logical or adult way of looking at it at all. It's completely statistically flawed, but I digress. Kriegman suggested that such a comparison isn't as accurate as comparing black suspects who pose a grave danger and white suspects who do the same. So these are suspects, black or white, who are threatening the safety of the police officer. Okay? Now we know, multiple years of data, black suspects far more likely to attack a police officer than white suspects are. All right? Now that's apples to apples, oranges to oranges. Black suspects who pose a grave danger and white suspects who do the same, but wrote that there isn't reliable data for such a comparison. Instead, he used the deputy district attorney for L.A., Patrick Frey's calculations based on FBI data that found, quote, 
Black Americans account for 37% of those who murder police officers and 34% of the unarmed suspects killed by police. Meanwhile, whites make up 42.7% of cop killers and 42% of the unarmed police, uh, the unarmed suspects shot by police, meaning whites are killed by police at a 7% higher rate than blacks are. Kriegman also broadened the analysis to include armed suspects, finding that with those numbers included, whites are shot at a 70% higher rate than blacks. He then mentioned the one, the only study that looks at the rate at which police use lethal force across racial groups conducted by Harvard economist Roland Fryer. That's the guy I mentioned earlier. Fryer, who is black, tried to prove BLM's narrative in 2016, but ended up disproving it by finding that while black Americans and Latinos may experience some amount of police force, they were slightly less likely to be shot by police than whites. When he shared his findings on the Thomas Reuters collaboration platform, that's the internal platform that they use throughout the umbrella that is Reuters, he was met with vitriol by white coworkers who lobbed insults at him rather than provide even a single substantive challenge to the facts that he was citing. He then wrote that his post was removed, when he stated his concerns, and he was told that if he discussed the issue on internal company communication channels again, he would be fired. Well, without a resolution, he emailed colleagues and company leadership discussing the attacks up upon him. The next day, he was told by human resources that he no longer had access to his company computer or communication systems, and three days later, he was fired. This is a guy who ran data and statistics at Reuters, and he was fired because he did his job. Why? Because challenge the narrative. So you know now that anything you read in Reuters about police shootings or crime are completely irrelevant because they're not concerned with truth at all over there at Reuters. Then again, I mean they've been caught, you know, fabricating smoke and things like that in Palestinian conflict. So I don't I don't know what else you would expect from Reuters, but this is, this is how our news media conducts this stuff. Now, with the Johnny Depp thing and why the Johnny Depp thing is important, I'm talking about that next. 95.3 MNC. Casey Hendrickson. Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, your breaking news and weather station. Oh, by the way, Campus Reform is a really good article. And it does an analysis of Google trends, and it found that America, not real interested in Black Lives Matter anymore. Not interested in them at all, and with good reason, because they're being exposed for what they are, which are absolute hypocrites who are stealing money and buying mansions and, and that sort of stuff. So, again, it's it's good that people are finally starting to wake up, but look how long it took. And I guess what they found is that BLM support has decreased 20%. 20%. I mean, good. Like I said, couldn't happen to a better group of people. Uh, BLM now stands for buy large mansions, by the way. Because that's what BLM does with your funds. They buy large mansions. They don't do anything else with your money. Why is the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp story so important? Because some people are under the impression falsely that this is just Hollywood celebrities and everything else. Maybe they don't like Johnny Depp. 
Okay, this isn't about liking Johnny Depp or anything like that. This is this is about making sure that society doesn't allow a stupid narrative to rule over our lives instead of the truth. Amber Heard is a predator. Amber Heard is somebody who preyed upon Johnny Depp. Amber Heard probably picked Johnny Depp because he was an addict. And she probably let loose a little bit more on him because she felt she could get away with it because he was an addict. There's no denying that Johnny Depp is an addict. Everybody understands that Johnny Depp is an addict. He's always been one. He will always be one. I hope he gets sober one day, but let's be honest, that's probably not going to happen. Amber Heard spread vicious lies about this guy, ruined his career, and was automatically believed. Why? Because of two things. Feminism and white knight syndrome. Now, feminism says believe all women, no matter what, even if they're lying, which women do a lot. Not all the time, but a lot. And that damages actual women who are victims because they need to be able to come forward and not have to worry about a circus. But when you automatically believe people who lie, like Blasey Ford, Amber Heard, and a whole host of others, you ruin elements of our society. And you drive men away from relationships. You remember the articles in the studies that we were doing with the Me Too movement? As the Me Too movement was getting going, okay? And the Me Too movement started off just fine, going after Weinstein, who we all knew was a creep, and several other people. Then what did it do? It ensnared innocent people like Louis C.K. It started bringing innocent people into the fold just because it became about, oh, it became about the patriarchy and the power structure instead of actual assault. And it damaged society as a result. And remember what happened? Men stopped going on business trips with women. Remember that? And women were complaining that they couldn't go on business trips with men because men didn't want to be alone with the women. Because they didn't want to be accused of anything. Remember when Mike Pence was being attacked by feminists because Mike Pence wouldn't have dinner or lunch alone with a woman without his wife or somebody else being there? God forbid he'd want to cover his back. So a lot of women said, this hurts our advancement. Now, I'm, I'm sorry, but if you're a woman and you're saying it hurts your ability to advance in his organization when he has a third party there while you're having dinner, what are you implying yourself? Aren't you implying that you'll use your sexuality yourself? If you can't get a promotion with somebody else sitting in, in the same table, you're implying that you intended to do something. And he didn't want to put himself in that position. That was the, the right position. Hey, get, guess who we don't have a sex scandal with? Mike Pence. Say what you want about the guy. Don't have a sex scandal with him. Guy's clean there. Until further notice. Okay? Because you never know. <laughs> Until further notice. So Amber Heard is automatically bleed because of that. And then White Knight Syndrome is, oh, she's pretty. If I just white knight myself enough and tell her that I will protect her and that she's right, maybe she'll give me a date. She ain't. Got news for you guys. Stop simping. She ain't going to give you a date. Amber Heard doesn't care about you. It ain't going to happen. Simping is for losers. Stop it. Now, let me give you a broader example here of how bad this is. Yeah, Amber Heard ruined a millionaire's career. Oh, big whoop, Casey, big whoop. All right. Father of two, 29 years old, dumps his partner. That's not the one I was looking at. Sorry, that's that's an additional story. On to this. Police in Oklahoma have found a woman who hatched a scheme to get custody of her kids. You know what she did? She's 33 years old. 
She decided to dump a bunch of child pornography on her husband's cell phone and then accuse him of pedophilia. Darn near got away with it. If you think the Amber Heard story in this isn't connected, you're wrong. You think the increasing decline in marriage and men moving away from long-term relationships isn't connected to the Amber Heard story? You're wrong. If you think the declining birth rate in this country isn't tied to Amber Heard's story, you're wrong. Our society is crumbling because of toxic third-wave feminism. That is just a reality. That is a fact. You think men aren't turned off by the idea of somebody holding a sign outside of the Supreme Court saying, I proudly had 31 abortions. Yeah, no, red flag. Police have alleged an Oklahoma woman hatched a scheme to get custody of her children that centered around loading hundreds of images of child pornography onto her husband's phone and then having him arrested. You think that isn't tied to the Amber Heard story? Of course it is. I understand why some people on the surface look at this and say that, oh, it's just Hollywood bickering, it's just a drama thing, and it's just entertainment. No. The broader scheme here is society. And society is being destroyed by people like Amber Heard who pretended to be a victim while being the predator in order to secure movie roles, ambassadorships for the ACLU, funding, and all sorts of other social causes that she wanted to push. All she had to do was bat her pretty little eyes and pretend to be a victim. And everybody believed it. Why? Because she's pretty and we have to believe all women. That's why. So please, when you look at the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp story, understand there is an entire, an entire culture war that is playing out with that story. That is just the face of it right now. And it is an extremely important trial. In spite of the hilarity and how it's progressing inside the courtroom. It is an extremely important story. It is as important, if not more, than Duke Lacrosse. You must pay attention to it. Got more coming up. 95.3 MNC. I'll tell you about this story with this uh, father who dumped his partner, too, because it's kind of related. WTRC FM. I was at the party. Guest business internet required. Actual speeds vary. From the final phase, Electric Studios. From the first step to the final phase. Industrial and commercial electrical done right. Casey Hendrickson. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Do you want to thank R&B Car Company locations in South Bend and Warsaw? R&B Car Company are your used car experts. You can find them online at rbcarcompany.com. Early show today was about Iraq. George W. Bush, WMDs, because I'm a little sick and tired of people gaslighting history just because they don't like George W. Bush. So I went over all of that for you. On the early show today. It took me took me a little over an hour to do it. And frankly, I did it pretty quick. So if you are interested in that topic at all, let me let me put it this way. If you or somebody you know doesn't think WMDs were found in Iraq, go watch that show so you can actually learn what happened. All right. Back to the uh, the phones. Uh, we have Nancy. Welcome to the program. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi there. Yeah, I can hear you just fine. Okay. Okay. Um, I wanted to say that I agree 100% women ruin men's lives. I have two sons. I get it. 
and we tell him to be careful. But Johnny Depp ruined his life when he said, when he went on and asked, when was the last time a president should be assassinated? Because I'm a 50-something woman, yep. and he was my favorite actor. I had all of his Pirates of the Caribbean, knew every line in them, mm -hmm. other movies. I had all kinds of friends that loved him, too. And when that happened, I ripped all of his DVDs out of my stuff, got rid of them, got rid of everything about him, and I was done. Because you don't threaten to kill President Trump. I agree with everything that you're saying. Uh, and this is not a defense of Johnny Depp as a human being. But his trial is not about that. The, the trial is about what a woman can do to a man. And I know that and sometimes when you don't like somebody, it can be difficult to separate that. I get that. Because Johnny Depp, you're right. No, no. I 100% agree with you. Things that he said were I, disgusting and, dare I say, deplorable. But I think that's what ruined his career. Because that's when it started to sink, was when he made that. Because all <sighs> I know lots of women that they were done. They'll, I'll never go to, if there's another sequel to Pirates of the Caribbean, I'll never go to but do you really? And, but do you really believe that that led, because Disney didn't say that's why they, they let him go. I mean, Disney made it very clear it was about the accusations of domestic violence against him. But do you really think that that would have hurt his Hollywood career, though, in Hollywood? Oh, I don't, I, I don't know, because, because his fan base were people like me. It wasn't teenagers. Mm -hmm. It wasn't men. It was women who thought he was good-looking mm -hmm. and funny and paid the money to watch movies over and over. I went to Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one, yeah. probably three times, and yeah. I'm not a big moviegoer. So no, they this, were great it films. It was his yeah. Trump supporter fan base that was supporting him. Uh, he really wasn't that popular with other groups. It, and if you look it up, that's what they'll say. You know, it's probably 40-plus women i mean it's an interesting and, perspective and it wasn't what disney cited but i'm wondering if they did factor that in oh i, I don't know if they did or not because disney doesn't care for trump anyway i, I don't right. know that they did but i do think that you know and i get what you're saying because of what she said they dumped him yeah but well, he he did a lot of that to himself well there's no there's no doubt yeah his there's you bring up a very good point that would his career have ever been the same after he made those comments maybe not then again, Rob Reiner's still making movies. Stephen King is still, you know, doing all right. And they've all said equally disgusting things. So, I, you know, maybe, maybe not. But I think it's a fair point to bring up that maybe his career would have not recovered anyway. Okay. All right. Nancy, Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you much. Yep. And, and he did. He, he did say that. I mean, we've played the montage a million times on the show. Uh, for CNN, that, that is an exaggerated number, not an actual million times, but you know, probably a dozen or two. You don't need to fact check me on that. Uh, but I also wanted to kind of dovetail into this because something that I've talked about a lot on the show is, and I know the 90 Day Fiance is like, since I first started talking about this, become like a really big deal and like a big hit show. You're not familiar with 90 Day Fiance, you know, people going overseas, finding a spouse, and bringing them to the United States. And a lot of folks look at these things, you know, the old, the old cliche of the mail order Russian bride. But I've been talking about this for over 17 years. Why is it that Western men, not just Americans, why is it that Western men go to Russia, go to Ukraine, go to South Korea, go to Thailand, go to the Philippines? Why do they go there to find women? 
Lots of women here in the U.S., more women than men. So why do American men go overseas to find women? Because they're looking for something that American women don't offer. And I don't mean all of you. Many of you do. And particularly in this audience, I understand that there is going to be a large percentage of you who are like, traditional roles are great. And we support traditional roles. I understand that. But by and large, in society, American women are inferior to women outside of America when it comes to being life partners. Men are looking for partners. Men are looking for people that make them better. They're not looking for somebody to take all of their money and not do anything. Men want women who are going to have their six. And you don't find that a lot in the United States. So men have looked for these women abroad. Now, the reason I bring this up is there's a very interesting story that I post on Telegram over the weekend, and it's led to some interesting discussions. A father of two, and I want you to understand, I am not defending what this guy did, but I do want to provide some perspective. A father of two, 29 years old, dumped his partner of 10 years after falling for a 22-year-old Ukrainian refugee who came to live with them after the Russian invasion. So this woman was in Lviv. She's an IT specialist. She's in Lviv. She flees as a refugee. He goes on a Facebook group, offers his home to refugees. She's the first one that contacted them. He brings her in. She's very attractive. I got news for you. Ukrainian women are very attractive. Okay, Ukrainian women, Russian women, Eastern Bloc women are known for being very attractive. This is something that that is well known throughout the entire world. Does it mean all of them are attractive? No. But the ones who are, are extra special attractive. Okay? And the other thing that Russian women, Ukrainian women, and these other Eastern Bloc women provide for Westerners are traditional value sets. They take care of their husbands. They have his six even when he's wrong. They cook for him. They take interest in his hobbies because they want to be around him and support him. They tend to the children at home. If they have a career, they will do that. If they don't, they will be homebodies. They will do the traditional gender roles. And this is very attractive to Western men because they don't find that a lot in Western women. Why? Third-wave feminism. Doesn't mean that men can't have you know, somebody here that would meet all of those marks. They certainly can. There's still a lot of traditional valued women that are here. The problem is, is that you're very hard to find. And men struggle to find. Honestly, there needs to be a dating website devoted just to that. Like, just call it traditionalgenderroles.com and just have people, you know, meeting each other there. I suppose the closest thing would be, like, farmersonly.com. But, but it's it's hard to find. I talk to these young guys. It is tough for them to find somebody that they can be life partners with. Very, very difficult. The problem is, is that women who want to be life partners and actually settle down they're in their 30s, sometimes 40s. Guys aren't looking for that. They're not. You know, women want to have their phase, okay? There's a there's a, a two-letter word for it that I won't say on the air, but it starts with an H, it ends in an O, phase, okay? And then after their, dare I say, damaged goods and your damaged goods, they then want to find a good man. And then a lot of them who look for a good man still don't want to fulfill the role of being a partner for the good man. And now they're just looking for a guy to pay for everything. 
And this is a rough, rough experience for, for Western men. It's tough. And so they oftentimes look for women overseas. Now, this was an accidental situation, but if you read the articles, which I will put in the daily show prep, and for the record, his old girlfriend, who would not take his name, or she took his name, but will not marry him, okay? They got two kids together, so this is rough. She didn't take care of him at home. Ukrainian woman comes to town, takes an interest in his hobbies, hangs out with him, finds him interesting, cooks meals for him when he's working late. His wife goes to bed. Ukrainian woman stays up, makes him food. Can you blame him for falling in love? This is the type of thing that is drastically missing in Western women right now. And I'm telling you, it's hurting our marriage rate. It's hurting our birth rate. Got more coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Casey Hendrickson. Bill, Governor Holcomb signed into law. We have the latest. I'm Laura Smith. I'm John Zimney. Rain moves into Michiana. Got the forecast for the first part of the holiday weekend. First thing Tuesday on 95.3 MNC. Right about now, some of you are probably looking at somebody in your vehicle who's really irritated with what I said in the last segment. So I'm sorry for your loss. I know. The truth hurts. It's this weird thing. I said we have this ebb and flow that's happening here. It was men who were dogs for a while. Now it's women, and they just can't seem to get on the same same wavelength in this country, and that is because of the culture war. And the culture war now has a face. The face is Amber Heard. That's just the truth. Now, speaking of other lies in the media, there is no data that supports a threat of white supremacists in the United States. It doesn't exist. We've talked about this a lot. We've looked at the data. We've tried to find it. Desperately been looking for it. I've given you the statistics of mass shooters several times in the past. Majority of them are not white. And it's weird how the left kind of like picks and chooses which mass shooting data they want to run with. Because they want the bigger number of mass shootings, right? But a mass shooting is different than a mass public shooting. Mass public shooting is where, you know, some random person goes to a public place and decides to randomly shoot people as a mass public shooting. Those shooters, okay, are not even majority white. But they love to portray them as majority white because they include any mixed races as being white, which they didn't do for Obama, which I find strange. Obama is half white. They didn't call him a white president. I'm still waiting for the first actual black president to come along. I want to see how the media is going to cover that because it's going to be really interesting. Herman Cain used to have some of the funniest bits about Obama not being black. But he's half black. So is he the first minority president? I, maybe. I, you know, there's other presidents, obviously, that had minorities in them. But you could probably say he's the first minority president. Not the first black president, though, because he's half white. So what happens when somebody who's not half white suddenly wins wins the nod? Does the media change it and make them the first black president? It'll depend on what political party they belong to. That's that's the truth. It'll pretend. It, it, no, it won't pretend. It will depend, excuse me, on which political party they belong to. But there is no data out there that shows that there's a white supremacist threat in this country. None whatsoever. Uh, Julie Kelly. Joe Biden will travel to Buffalo on Tuesday. Of course, he did that. This is from the 16th. To ostensibly join in the upstate New York community in mourning the murders of 10 people at a local grocery store over the weekend, which was done by a white supremacist. Nobody's denying that. Haven't seen anybody deny that. 
What's not appropriate is for Biden to use the atrocity as a platform to fuel even more hatred and division in a country ripping apart at the seams in so many ways. And that's exactly what he will do. And he did. The man who launched his 2020 campaign for president touting the lie that Donald Trump uh, commended very fine white supremacists after a 2017 protest in Charlottesville, which is a lie that got repeated last week, by the way. Still, Still a lie. Was a lie then. Is a lie now. But they still say it can be expected to promote another lie. Violent white supremacists and domestic extremists pose a heightened threat to the country. That tired mantra remains an animating feature of Biden's regime. On his second full day in office, Biden instructed his national security team to devise a whole a whole-of-government approach to combat, quote, domestic terrorism, largely using the events of January 6th as the pretext. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki promised a fact-based analysis upon which we can shape policy when she announced the initiative back in January 2022. Excuse me, January 22nd, 2021. My apologies. But the 32-page report issued by Merrick Garland's Justice Department during a public ceremony in June was long on rhetoric and very short on facts. While noting mass shootings committed by white men in Charlotte's, uh, Charleston, Pittsburgh, and El Paso, the analysis failed to prove what it described as a persistent and emerging threat of domestic terrorism. The authors also claimed the victims of the U.S. Capitol joined also claim that the victims of the U.S. Capitol joined the tra- tragic history of American terror attacks, including the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing, which killed 168 people, including children. Further, the unrelated handful of acts took place over a six-year period, hardly representative of a systemic pattern of white-on-black violence. Horrible and sickening, yes. Carnage and merits the harshest tr- uh, punishment possible for perpetrators, yes. But... Is it representative of a pervasive threat requiring the use of intrusive government and private sector surveillance tools once reserved for foreign terrorists? No. No matter how the Democrats in the news media and establishment Republicans such as U.S. Representative Liz Cheney, Republican of Wyoming, allegedly, who blamed Republican House leaders on Monday morning for enabling white nationalism, again, this is back in the 16th, and white supremacy, try to twist the matter, the data simply does not support these accusations. The most current figures available are from 2020, one of the most tumultuous years in the U.S., in our history, really. Rather than telling a story of a country under siege by bloodthirsty white supremacists, the metrics, if accurate, and that's a big if, considering the designation of a hate crime is based on the subjective determination of the charging agency. And as we've highlighted many times throughout my career, anti-white crimes frequently are not listed as hate crimes. For example, Waukesha, still not listed as a hate crime, against whites, even though that was the motivation of the person who drove through those people. One of the most gruesome hate crimes in the history of this country were the Christian Newsom murders. And again, they refused to highlight that that couple was targeted because they were white and tortured because they were white and murdered because they were white and then dismembered because they were white. Even though the defendant specifically said they targeted them because of the color of their skin, they still do not list that as a hate crime. Anyway, it contradicts the narrative. With more than 15,000 local law enforcement agencies reporting, the FBI tallied 8,263 hate crime incidents for that year in 2020. Roughly half, according to the FBI's crime data explorer, were motivated by anti-black or anti-African-American sentiment. And of the 4,082 offenses against blacks in 2020, the top offense was intimidation. A little more than 1,200 offenses were actually assault. Just five were categorized as murder or manslaughter. And 1,710 out of 2,353 
perpetrators were white. Racially motivated crime would be non-existent in an ideal world. However, that's not the world in which we live, particularly as the ruling class corporate news organizations and social media platforms bang the drums of a race war on a daily basis. She's got a lot of points here. And again, as we've highlighted, um, there's a couple of years ago, I did a fake news flash on this. I actually just reposted it. Um, the news media was running around and saying that hate crimes had gone up. And it was like for 2018 or 2019, that hate crimes had gone up, led by a surge in anti-black and anti-Muslim hate crimes. But the problem is, is that that wasn't true. Hate crimes against blacks had actually gone down. And hate crimes against Muslims had actually gone down. There was a surge in hate crimes against whites and Hispanics, though. But the news media was telling you a completely different story. And how many people do you think are going to pull up the UCR and actually look at the Uniform Crime Report for that year? Like 12. I'm one of them. Nobody else is going to do it. She continues to go through the data and points out, obviously, this is not a real issue. I'm going to leave this in the Daily Show prep. I want you to read it. If nothing else... Go to the links that she links to, which are official reports of the FBI, so you can get the real tally of, of what this data actually shows. Because it isn't what they're telling you it is. MSC News Time is 531. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that will last a lifetime. From the first step to the final phase, industrial and commercial electrical done right. Casey Hendrickson. Had to explain that last one to poor Ben. <laughs> He didn't laugh, so I knew it didn't it didn't register. Okay. What's, what's that? <laughs> All right. Speaking of, of mass public shootings, okay? We had a we had a shooting in Goshen. All right. This is obviously gripped everybody because this typically doesn't happen in Goshen. Happens in South Bend, doesn't happen in Goshen. Four loud booms, a girl screaming out a window. Neighbors described the moments before police converged on their Rose Rosemare is it Rosemare? Yeah, Rosemare Court neighborhood on Saturday to find victims in what police termed a targeted shooting. Now again, is this a mass shooting? Yes. Is it a mass public shooting? No. This was this was a this is a targeted event. As tragic and horrible as it is. What happens though is the news media will take this, and I'm not specifically talking about local news media, I'm just broad. These types of shootings, gang-related shootings that are targeted shootings or uh, somebody targets their family or something like that, okay, will then be lumped in with a mass public shooting, which is just an indiscriminate killing of people in public. Those were always categorized separately. Mass public shootings, which have an individual show up, like what happened in Buffalo, and just indiscriminately target people, are not on the rise. They have not been on the rise. There's no evidence at all that they're on the rise. Criminologists will tell you that they've remained relatively constant for decades now, going back to the 70s. No increase, no decrease. Some years it's up a little bit. Next year it's down a little bit. On the average over a 10-year period, there is no increase in mass public shootings. What has happened, though, when the news media comes out and says, mass shootings are up, is they include stories like this in the mass shooting database. Now, the problem with that is they're separate events. But also, when you include all mass shootings, like what happened in Goshen, people killing their families, gang shootings, then the narrative of the white shooter, 
goes away because most of these shootings are not committed by white people. In fact, the vast majority of them are committed by black men. So then they're trying to say that your your threat for mass shootings are from a white man while including data from shootings that are predominantly committed by black men. And they're trying to finagle that data when they have this discussion with people. It's not an appropriate conversation to have. And it is all designed to divide and attack people for no reason. This should purely be about the victims and what happened and what led to this. Um, Unfortunately, now, I'm not blaming all local media on this, but unfortunately what happened in Goshen gets politicized really, really fast on social media. It gets politicized on racial lines. It gets politicized on gun control lines and everything else. All the ATF rules that are going into place about so-called ghost guns and all of that are all a factor here. Um, And it becomes a, a real problem. Two males were killed. Three females were severely injured, according to a statement from Goshen Police. They didn't release any ages or names at the time. Um, If those were updated today, I don't have it. I apologize. The stepfather of some of the victims uh, lives in the Rosemare Court. His name is Sean Pounds, um, which is on the south side of Goshen. On Sunday, he visited with neighbors. While standing in their driveway, he heard, um, let's see, Oh, he was talking to the news. Sorry. Uh, Pound said of Saturday's tragedy. Sorry, just not not a well-written article. The way that the grammar is is terrible. Uh, There's words, but I can't describe them. Julia Bliley was home at the time of the shooting, two doors down from it. I heard four really loud booms, she said, adding that the first, at first, she assumed it was somebody nearby doing car repair work until police arrived. She said the scene was still taped up at 11 p.m. that night. So... You know, again, it's it's a tragedy. It's awful. And there's nothing wrong with discussing it and trying to figure out what caused all of this. And, you know, could there have been something that, that would have prevented it? You know, was there a misstep potentially in the DA or law enforcement with the previous case? And I'm not saying that there was. But these are things you have to ask and evaluate when these types of stories happen. Unfortunately, online, it is, particularly on social media, has turned into gun control. And firearms and everything else, which would not have prevented any of this. And everybody knows it wouldn't have prevented any of this, but it still descends into that. And that's the that's the sad part. You lose the stories of the victims when you start talking about these other things. Same thing with Buffalo. Yeah, you've got a, a psycho who did what he did. And what has happened is everybody is focused on his political affiliations for some reason. As if that were at all relevant, it doesn't matter that he described himself as a authoritarian leftist. It doesn't matter. But it has to be said because everybody's out there saying that he's, and I quote, I quote a member of the news media, he is a mainstream Republican. No, he's not, and it isn't relevant if he was. But in the midst of all of that bickering, you lose the 10 victims who lost their lives and their families. That's the sad part. And when you've got a former vice president pandering to Buffalo while refusing to acknowledge what happened at Waukesha, you further divide the country. Why? Because of politics. They want you divided. That's the truth. Got more coming up. 95.3 MNC. 
Casey Henry. Morning News. Weekday mornings 5 till 9 on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. All right. Ran a little bit long in the last segment. No, I didn't. We just got a lot of advertisers because I'm popular. I want you to go to truthsocial.com. Follow me at Casey the host. Truthsocial.com. Follow me at Casey the host. Again, everybody can join Truth Social now. You don't need an iPhone. And also subscribe on Rumble. Rumble.com slash Casey the host. Here's Bill O'Reilly. We'll see you tomorrow. Bill O'Reilly here. The